Hello, I am Pastor Richard Wesley Johnson. And I am Dr. Corey Little Edwards. This is the Elusive Dream Podcast. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. How are you feeling today, Dr. Corey? I'm feeling pretty awesome. It's Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Yes, and thank you for asking. I'm feeling pretty good, too. (laughs) Uh, It's so exciting. We are releasing this podcast on MLK Day 2021. And I have to say, this is special for me because ever since I was six years old, I wanted to be like Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Even going as far as attending Morehouse College, just like he did. I mean, it was his message of the beloved community that resonates deeply now with my hope for the church and for all people. So you wanted to be like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. since you were six years old? I feel like you're saying you don't believe it. I believe you. Brother <laughs> said six. I'm just asking. Uh, Tell us yes, about that. Yes. When I was six years old, I played Dr. King in a school play, and I believed that I was the fulfillment and product of his dream, particularly the the speech and the March on Washington. Now I was able to sit next to little white boys and white girls in the classroom because of him. And I felt like we as a people, as black people in particular, had arrived. And so now it was my my responsibility of carrying on this beautiful dream. It wasn't until middle school that I had a rude awakening when a white eighth grade English teacher sat me in the back of the class because she believed I couldn't pay attention. Mm. And then in ninth grade, when my wrestling teammates told insensitive jokes the entire season in my presence, Mm. or even my senior year when my guidance counselor told me that going to a black college was beneath my abilities. (laughs) It was moments like those that I realized that blacks and other people of color are still being judged by the color of their skin. Mm -hmm. But it was also Mm -hmm. those moments that solidified my belief and carrying the mantle of justice that I saw (laughs) um, that led me to go to the same college. But it wasn't until I had a prophetic encounter while I was in college that I started to see the dream even more clearly. Mm -hmm. So the dream is what drew me towards Dr. King and eventually the vocation of becoming a a minister and a pastor, the, the way in which I find myself doing it now. But you know what, Dr. Corey, if I'm honest, today I've been asking myself, how did I miss the deeper meaning of the dream for so long? Well, you know, the reality is a lot of us have missed the deeper meaning of the dream for so long. Mm. Right? That actually the dream that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was presenting has yet to be realized. Mm. Uh, The dream that he presented has actually been boiled down to integration, right? That, that, that phrase that you mentioned, you know, about little black boys and little black girls walking hand in hand with Mm -hmm. little white boys and little white girls. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if we look at the whole of the, I have a dream speech, as well as many of his other speeches and his sermons and his writings, he was actually talking about the dismantling of the white power structure, a system of laws and everyday norms that gave white people more power and freedom than people of color. And this included access to educational opportunities, working those more desirable jobs that have more pay and have better benefits. We're talking about being able just to eat in mm-hmm. restaurants and mm-hmm. go to the movies and mm-hmm. enjoy entertainment. It means the elimination of barriers to voting, buying homes in good neighborhoods, freedom from harassment and physical harm. Come on, equal justice under the law. The list goes on and on and on. The dream has not yet been realized. Now, 
we, we ain't going to say we haven't made some progress. We made we some. have, right? We've right. been moving on the path. Right. But the dream has not been realized. We are still very much on this journey. Yeah, we are very much on this journey. It's it's not over. This is this is why we started this podcast. Mm-hmm. We wanted to give a, a clear picture about what the dream was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what is significant to you about particularly releasing episode one on MLK Day? You know, well, for me, by doing this, we honor and recognize Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s commitment to freedom and mm-hmm. love mm-hmm. as is taught by Jesus. Mm-hmm. It also honors his contribution to the struggle, the struggle hmm. for freedom. And, and, you know, we have to remember he was a young man. I know. He didn't even make it out of his 30s. <sighs> but he used his life that he was given. He really even gave his life to impact the lives of others. And and this is a small way to remember that legacy. Mm-hmm. And so we hope we can encourage the journey that he and others with him during that freedom movement of the 50s and 60s, mm-hmm. including Malcolm X and Medgar Evers, who also lost their lives in the struggle for yeah. freedom, um, that we can continue to encourage that journey mm-hmm. that, that, that they engaged in, that many before them engaged in, actually. That's right. Come on. Come on, now this has been going on for centuries, um, that they engaged in, but also those who came after them. Right. Right. And, right. and of course... It's critical, absolutely critical, that we remember that, as you said, he's the Reverend Doctor. Say that. The Reverend Doctor Martin Say Luther that. King Jr. He was a Reverend. All that he did was motivated by his deep faith in a God of love and freedom. And if again, if we talked about those speeches and those sermons and those writings and people would would learn more about that, uh, he was invested in the good news of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and the knowing that we serve a God that desires us to be free. Right. That that is the source, right? Amen. That is the source for why we do what we do. And it was the same for him. He was motivated by Jesus. Absolutely. What he saw in the Gospels. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he did this from the perspective of a practical theologian. Come on now. He that's was, he too was he, yes, it's often forgotten. And 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 that's forgotten. And so it's not just the dream, mm-hmm. right? That was missed that we talk mm. about, you know, we often talk about the integration, not just the dream uh, that we don't get sometimes, but we we also don't really address the reality that it's about freedom and a dismantling of a racist power structure and white supremacy. Mm. Um, and then again, we forget or we don't talk about the fact that he was a reverend and a preacher of the gospel. Yeah. And. and <laughs> I feel like you got what you going to say. He was a sociologist. Oh, okay. Did you know his undergraduate major at Morehouse was in sociology, Pastor Rich? Yes, I did. I did. Yeah, so this is quite apropos for me, a sociologist and your reverend, mm-hmm. Pastor, to be having this inaugural episode, right, yes. for the Elusive Dream podcast on MLK Day. Yes, 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 yes. Reverend, I, you know, when I was in the Baptist Baptist Church, I went by Reverend Rich. Come on now. Reverend John. Reverend John. We need to pull that back. I've been calling you Pastor Rich. I might be calling you Reverend Rich. Uh-oh. From this point forward. Right. <laughs> oh, wow. In this episode, we want to talk specifically about the beloved community and to talk about the beloved community, we're we're going to start with why we, you and I, a sociologist and a reverend, mm-hmm. started studying and practicing multiracial church community. Mm-hmm. So, how did you, as a 
as a sociologist, how did you as Dr. Corey Little Edwards get into this? <laughs> well, it's an interesting story, actually, okay. because my first career was as an engineer. Right. Hmm. So at the time um, when I was an engineer, I was just working my job. You know, I was out in the suburbs, sub- suburban, air, suburban Chicago, actually. And I was attending this largely a white church and and I and I mentioned in another podcast I grew up in the black church but at this time I was attending this largely white church cuz out in the suburbs you know that's yeah. pretty much what's out there so anyway so I felt a call I began to feel a call at that time uh to change careers and the call if you will was was a burden on my heart mm. really from the get go uh, a burden on my heart for this freedom mm. freedom from oppression I just had in my spirit that the body of Christ needed to be more just, more equal, um, that we had to move toward eliminating this inequality, not in society, but also in the church, quite frankly. And so that was that burden on my heart, this freedom from oppression for people of color generally, but actually, um, and specifically for black people, when I was in my people in particular. You're talking about a huge change here. I can imagine that there weren't even many black engineers and certainly not even many black female engineers at that time. And so you were already in a minority space, but now you wanted to change from engineering to sociology oh i know i know right and it and I, I'm not and you had to be living it up as an engineer i mean <laughs> i don't know if he was living it living it up but i i actually i i wanted to be an engineer too look at that because i wanted to make a lot of money <laughs> <laughs> we 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 coming from similar space we coming from similar space so it uh, had to look be look at the lord works look at the lord works but you changed that had I to be a did. huge faith step dr Corey. it was a big faith step let me tell you something i'm a first generation college student mm. okay that's the word so there. you know what i'm first generation college student and i was practical about the major that i chose i chose engineering i was a good student in high school i was good in science and math and so I, I, I was being practical. I'm going to pick a, a job that that was going to be secure, mm-hmm. that was going to be solid, that was going to be professional. Mm-hmm. And so when I felt that tug to follow a different path from the Lord, I, I, I didn't go immediately. Mm. No, I didn't. I, I said, mm, <laughs> thank the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Can I get a witness of yeah, anybody out surely. there that sometimes you... You shake your head a little bit. You shake it off. Uh, uh, and so um, I didn't jump into it immediately. God had to work, work with me, mm-hmm, work in me. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I really struggled with the Lord about this. Wow. Really, because um, I wanted that security, you mm-hmm. know, and that and what I felt was security. Um, so it took about a year of struggle. Um, and so finally, though, the Lord just placed his really spoke to my spirit and I just let go. I mm-hmm. let go of what I saw mm. as a secure path. Um, and so the deal is I was leaving engineering to pursue a career in a field um, that I had no idea about. Mm. Right? Mm. I hadn't even taken a class in sociology. <laughs> that don't make no sense. Now that's only but God, right? When wow. you jump into something like that. Um, but I did. I did, and I had to. I had to leave engineering, and I had to go into a totally different field. And I went back to graduate school, and and then I here I am. I'm I'm on this journey. And it sounded like, I mean, from your upbringing, you were a part of the black church, mm-hmm. and then here you are as a 
an engineer. You're part of a largely white church. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yes. So you, you, at the time, you didn't you didn't even have the experience of being in a multiracial church. No, I didn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't actually. And when I was in that largely white church, you know, they would actually talk about individual level racism okay. here and there. All right, here and there, and uh, but not systemic racism at all. Like mm-hmm. that didn't come up at all. And so what I saw was a church saying some of the right things, right. Um, But actually, they weren't really living it out, right? They weren't really living out, even in the church, what I would consider to be equality and mutuality across race, right? Where there is equal distribution of power, where people Uh, of color have really power uh in the church to make decisions, where there were Mm -hmm. um, this integration, this cultural integration, you know, mm. of other cultures, you know, and it, it was essentially a white, a white church. Right. Right. And then sometimes they talked about, you know, be kind and nice to people of color. Yeah. Right. But we know it's much deeper than that, yes. you know, because you can be kind and nice and still be white supremacist. And so I mm. actually came across um, learning about a multiracial church. And then I, when I heard about that, I was like, oh, that's cool. You know, I grew up in the black church. I was going to this white church because you know, it was out there in the suburbs where I lived. And I said, wow, a multiracial church? That's not common. And then right. I, I just began to get my, I thought to myself, okay, okay, they must have the answer. Right. Right. This must be the way to do this. They, they're doing something that, vast majority of Christians in this country aren't doing. Right. And so that's how I got on the journey of studying multiracial churches and the long and the short, if anybody's familiar with my work is I learned that they're not quite the answer. (laughs) Wait a minute. They're not the answer. Oh my goodness. Wait a minute. Cause I, I got into starting a multiracial church Mm -hmm. because I felt like it was the answer. Mm. Yeah, right. It's, it looks good. It looks good. Look real good. Come on now. At first. At first. <laughs> I mean, I went to I went to Morehouse College, a historically black college in Atlanta, Georgia, mm-hmm. to be like Martin Luther King. So again, at the time, I'm not even thinking about multiracial church. I'm thinking about advancing black people. Mm-hmm. Really, really. So we was on the same tip. We was on the same tip. And then yeah, we got into the okay. Right, right. Because I got into this as a as a uh, went to Morehouse as a chemical engineer. I'm gonna come out making seventy five k minimum. You know, in 1998 when I was gonna, gonna graduate, I'm gonna make some bank. Mm-hmm. And then my sophomore year, I get this prophetic call mm. to become a minister, mm. which I eventually did. Mm-hmm. Um, received my call to ministry in my sophomore year, mm-hmm. but this prophetic call also included a purpose of leading a multiracial interdenominational community. Mm. And I had no desire to do that. (laughs) What? I was like, no, no go preach. Oh yeah. I got you Lord, (laughs) you know, multiracial, like white, black, Asian. Mm, I don't even know how that's going to happen. I'm Mm -hmm. sorry, but I did switch my major from engineering to education because I saw the inequalities that were in education, particularly against um, black Americans and black males, even and wow, more specifically when I when I changed my major. So I graduate with a undergrad and uh, early childhood development. I go to graduate school at the College of William and Mary mm-hmm. in Williamsburg, Virginia, to get a master's in education. And I became a, a youth pastor at a historically uh, black church in Hampton, Virginia. So mm-hmm. here I am, you know, 
um, going to school with all these white people, only black person in my graduate program. <laughs> there might have been some similarities yes. there too. Again, once again, it once again, similar. oh Lord. Um, but then when I started reading the book of Ephesians, mm. I started to have this this crisis of faith. And what I saw in Ephesians, what Paul write about that the the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ had actually brought about the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles. Mm-hmm. I said, well, Lord, what's the modern day expression of that? Well, it's the breaking down the dividing wall of hostility between whites and blacks. Mm-hmm. And then I read Revelation and said, well, where does this all end up? And the Apostle John saw in Revelation 7 that every language, tribe, tongue, and people is going to be around the throne worshiping Jesus. I said, Lord, we've got to do that. Yeah, Churches need to look more like that. They need mm-hmm. to be diverse. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I honestly, I had judged the black church as missing it. Mm. I had judged the white church as missing it. And I was going to st- be on a path, do something different. Mm-hmm. I was going to do what nobody else was doing. You were going to do what nobody else was doing. You, go, you, got, you got the word. I got the word. You got the message. You I got the, the message. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so did you stay? Did you stay? And- no, I left Virginia. Okay. Left the black church mm-hmm. and came to central Ohio to mm-hmm. attend a white church that wanted to become multiracial. Okay. So they felt like they wanted to become multiracial and they wanted to start churches and maybe they would even start a multiracial church. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got a rude awakening there. Uh-oh. <laughs> I got a rude awakening. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, fir- the first week I was there, someone asked if I was an evangelical Christian. And I said, what, what is an evangelical? I grew up Baptist. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they said, no, 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 no. Do you follow Martin Luther? And I said, Martin Luther the King? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> and they were like, no, Martin Luther the Reformer. And there was this whole conversation that was happening in the white church Mm -hmm. that wasn't happening in the black church. But I felt like my spirituality was was on uh, being judged Mm. every time I'm I'm in. I got to prove my faith. Yeah. As a black uh, Christian. Yeah. Yeah. And unless I prove it with their language, it wasn't going to work. So anyway. Um, spent eight years there um, in that church. You were there for a minute. We were there for a minute. Yes, we we were there for a minute and lost so much, you know, I, honestly, mm-hmm. culturally, mm-hmm. Um, what we held is valuable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we still, we being my wife and I, we still felt like we wanted to start a multiracial church. Mm-hmm. So we did in, in 2011. And um, a year prior to that, a friend of mine said, you want to start a multiracial church? You have got to meet this person. I was like, who's this person? Dr. Corey Little Edwards uh-huh. at The Ohio State. I said, wait a minute. She's she's 15 minutes away from where I am. <laughs> Let me. Did she write a book? Oh, yeah. She wrote a book called mm-hmm. The Elusive Dream. Mm-hmm. I said, I got to go meet her. Mm-hmm. So I emailed you. Yes, you did. And you we emailed met. me. That's right. That's right. I get this email from you out the blue. I had never heard or met you before. Uh-huh. Heard of you or met you before. And, and you and invited me to get together and so we got together for lunch on the campus of the Ohio State University at Hangover Easy. I Hangover believe. Easy, that's right. Yeah, right yeah. Campus. And so yeah. and and you know what you I I it was nice to meet you. You were really affable. You were really excited. That's what I remember. You were very excited. <laughs> you were you were you were gonna do this thing, multi multiracial churches and, and see at at the time, you know, I, I didn't quite tell you that quite yet, but maybe you maybe you had found out, but I was actually attending a black church. You know, I had gone back to the I black church. I didn't know church. that yet until mm-hmm. until our meeting. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
I was attending a, a largely black ch- a black church, mm-hmm. and and I got to tell you this much, uh, Reverend Rich, that um, <laughs> <laughs> Reverend, that um, you know, being in the black church was for me like going home. Mm, you know, it just felt it feel it feels um, it just feels comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to think about how you move or you don't think about how you move or how you talk or whether you're going to stand up during the song, whether you're going to sit down or where you're going to say, amen. You, mm-hmm. you understand uh, the rhythm of the music, how it's going to flow. You, you just get what's going on. Right. You know, you just feel right. comfortable. You feel at home. It's like wearing a comfortable pair of shoes, you know? Mm. And um, I can't say that when I'm in, uh, my experience in spaces that were multiracial uh, spaces and multiracial wow. churches in particular, you know, it, it's just that you feel aware. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're aware of what you're of what you're doing, and so there's such a gift, there's such a freedom just to be somewhere, and you don't have to think about it. You can just be right. You, know, you can just be. So I was at the black church at the time. I was in the black church, and so you met me, and we were eating, <laughs> and we were having some food over there, and you were telling me all these wonderful plans. I, I, I just knew I was going to be so impressive to you, right? Because particularly as multiracial churches were in yeah. 2010, yeah. the majority of those were led by white men. That's so true. there weren't even multiracial churches being led by people of color mm-hmm. to the degree that we see it today. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, oh, this is this is going to blow her. Up. This is going to blow her away right here. Gonna blow her mind. It's going to blow her. <laughs> <laughs> but I got to be honest. I had your book. Uh huh. You signed it. Mm-hmm. Let me just read for our listening audience what you said on the inside flap. Because, you okay. know, when you meet an author, you got to get their autograph. OK, yeah. What, what I write. So this is what Dr. Corey Little Edwards from The Ohio State said uh, to me. Dear Richard, <laughs> may God grant you wisdom and grace on your journey to realize the dream of real justice and reconciliation. That's right. I did. Didn't you I? You know, it's on funny. The front page. On the front page, I did. I wrote that. It's funny. I didn't remember that. You had just brought that up to me recently. Mm. But you know what? Because at the time, I was listening to you, right? And I was, mm-hmm. and I was, and I was, and I was thinking to myself, you know, um, I, I shared a little bit, you know, of what I had found in the elusive dream. Yes. Um, but I was, I wasn't, I didn't want to discourage you. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, I was legitimately concerned mm. because I was thinking to myself, you know. It, He's going to he's going to experience some challenges and some pain coming forward and he doesn't quite know. And so I yeah. I I I I tentatively was sharing a little bit, trying to throw out some warnings and then I wrote that in the on the flap there to give you a little bit of a, a warning there too, but I'm not quite sure you picked it up at the time. I didn't pick it up at the time. Yeah. I walked away from our meeting thinking, here's a sociologist <laughs> who's written a book about uh, interracial churches. But they are going to a homogenous congregate church uh, themselves. Mm-hmm. They've given up on the dream. That's that's honestly what I felt like. I felt like, oh, you gave up on the dream. Gave up on the dream. You gave up on the dream. And I'm I am not going to give up on the dream. <laughs> I am going to be the one who who bucks the odds, yeah. you know, who defies all obstacles and accomplishes this beautiful vision of a multiracial church mm-hmm. that is diverse. Yeah. And I was unintentionally, maybe even intentionally, honestly, going for diversity. Mm -hmm. But my rude awakening really, really came Mm. 
two years later, wild, a yeah. year after we planted the church mm-hmm. in 2012, yep. when Trayvon Martin uh, is shot and killed. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. And so I wrote you again. I wrote you another email. You did, and this was a this was a different email. It was a and different this email. Time, you ex- you expressed the stress and mm. the anxiety and 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 of what was going on. Yeah. And that it it what happened, what I was picking up from that email is that it stuff came to the surface. And it didn't just come to the surface because of what happened, you know, to Trayvon Martin and his and his family and, and the country as they were dealing with that. Yeah. I felt it. Mm. I felt it like when when President Barack Obama said that could have been his son. (laughs) I felt like that could have been me or could have been one of my sons. Mm -hmm. And I felt like, how do I lead this multiracial church when I'm feeling this way? Mm. I actually felt like I had to downplay some of my feelings. I had to downplay some of my emotions in order to make it affable for Mm. my white members um, Mm. in the church. Yeah. And so I I felt like I was trying to express that to you in that email Mm -hmm. and actually also simultaneously invite you to come lead us, help us to get it right. Yeah. Yeah. And that was maybe the very, very beginning of that. Right. right? This Mm -hmm. journey here where you begin to make some changes. Right. And so, and so that can happen. um, And in in many ways, I, I should say, you know, we have this, this emphasis on diversity, mm-hmm. right? That we're going to do diversity. We settle for diversity. Yeah. Uh, and, and what happens is diversity ends up being more of a symbol. Mm-hmm. And, and this and this pattern isn't just in religion. Okay. This pattern is something that exists across institutions in the United States. Uh, scholars, uh, sociologists, and other social scientists talk about this. We, there's, uh, we talk about the diversity as ideology. There are concepts out there about uh, racial capitalism. And the idea is that, you know, there's this cheap diversity, right? You know, we we hear about colorblind racism, right? right? But diversity as ideology or this sort of racial capitalism is is going kind of like a step beyond, right? Because what you can do is you can say, uh, we're diverse. You kind of use diversity as a shield, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have diversity, mm-hmm. but the systems and the structures that continue to give white people more power and more advantage and give people of color less power and less advantage or disadvantage people of color are still in place. Still in place. So you have you can have the picture of diversity. Literally the picture. Literally. Yes, literally the and picture. And still be uh, have systems of uh, injustice That's and right. oppression that take place. Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, you, when I talk about literally the picture, you know, you will find organizations, education, business, religion, they will go find people of color and put them in a picture mm-hmm. to seem to, to represent diversity. Right. To the outside world, because it's become this value that you ought to have diversity and yet not do anything to redistribute power mm. or to deal with the oppression that's inside the institution or the organization. So this is not just something in the church. This is a pattern in American society. And um, and we often can can um, be and settle for that cheap or thin diversity. Yeah, I'm gonna be honest here. Yeah. Even when we started the church, I I had the intentionality of wanting diversity up front mm-hmm. in the worship space. 
you know, yeah. praying. I, I mean, I even prayed for a, a female Latina worship leader and the Lord provided that. And I was like, look, see, Lord, look, you're doing it. You're yeah. doing it. We're doing the diversity thing yeah. from the beginning, you know. But I, there was, there was still, even me as a, pa, as a person mm-hmm. of color leading a multiracial church, mm-hmm. wasn't addressing the issues of power. Yes, yes. And, and you know what though, Pastor, Pastor Rich, that's not uncommon. Okay. Right? It's not, it wasn't just, it's not just you. Uh-huh. That's a, that's a pattern in some of the teaching, I would suggest, mm. uh, for, for leaders, for pastors to, to create, uh, diversity on the stage. Right. right? And that, but that can still just be thin diversity, right? You can mm-hmm. have diversity mm-hmm. and it's, it's not, you can have diversity and it's not terribly hard to get diversity, mm. um, but still have power inequality. Right. And if you have diversity, but you still have power inequality, then you don't have the good news. You don't have the beloved community. Yeah. You don't so, have that. In this sense, even multiracial churches can be harmful. Yes. To yes. achieving the beloved community. Absolutely. Oh. They can still be harmful. Mm. Just like business organizations and schools and universities and other places who who promote diversity but don't actually deal with the underpinnings of injustice um, can cause harm, can still be harmful. And so these this is what we have to see. We have to see this. Yeah. So why is Say some more about why living out the beloved community, in, particularly in this country, in America, mm, yeah. is so elusive. Well, you know, there, there are a few structures I could talk about, but I'm going to focus on two broader systems. Okay. And what's important about focusing on these broader systems or broader systems generally is often these can be unspoken. And, it, and, in, and it's those things that we don't talk about that can have a a considerable power, amazing mm. power because they're taken for granted. Okay. And if we, and it's those things that begin to be taken for granted that, that move us and guide us. And we're not even thinking about it. All right. And so one of those is white supremacy. Mm. You know, white supremacy is something we, we don't challenge. We don't realize that we take it for granted. Now we're talking about it more and more today. Um, and in fact, white supremacy has been talked about uh, throughout the centuries, particularly among people of color and more specifically in the black church. And academically, and academically among sociologists, y'all have been naming this for a while. been naming it for a while, right? Mm-hmm. And other social scientists and other scholars. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so we, we're hearing more about white supremacy, but what is it? What yeah. is white supremacy? And, sort of, and I'm just going to talk about a sort of real basic, okay. um, is that, you know, White supremacy is basically what is white is right. Okay. In a nutshell, what is white is right. Mm-hmm. In that, in that, what is white is superior, mm-hmm. uh, and and then and what is right white is the default. Mm-hmm. And, and by that, I mean the values that that white people have, um, the norms that white people practice, mm-hmm. um, their beliefs, their ideologies, how you see the world. And those are understood to just be. That's just how things are. And that's a very powerful system mm-hmm. to just be understood as how things are. Now, I'm not saying that all white people are the same. There's a diversity of, of, of subcultures among whites and specifically Anglos in the United States. Okay. Right. So I'm not saying that all are the same, but what I am saying is that if you're in a context where you have white people and people of color, regardless of the context, 
what is white in that context will be right. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they establish the norm. They establish the norm. The norm the, is. And, and, and for the church, this this means like what is proper worship? Yes. What is proper theology? Yes. What yeah. is proper interaction? That's Even right. down into how you interact as uh, friends. That's right. And family. That's right. Defining all of those meaning means <laughs> as a norm for how to behave and how to look um, like a Christian. Well, it's like, you know, we just talk about, do I call you Reverend Rich or I call you Pastor Rich? Or do you just call me Rich? Or do I just call you Rich? <laughs> well. well, right. So that right there is talking about a, a norm, but that and, 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 and a norm that's central to a particular uh, white subculture. Right? Right, right. And that when you're in a con particular context, you have to challenge that norm. So the norm might be. In certain contexts that you call leaders by their first name, mm -hmm. and then you have to challenge that, right? Mm. So, and that, because it's just taken for granted, mm -hmm. right? I think about, what's that, you had an example you were talking about just earlier in our conversation. Oh, about, you know, my evangelical Christian. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And we weren't even having that conversation in the black church. Oh. No, it's just Christian. You just even, follow Jesus. I don't even know what that was. I didn't even know what that was. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I even, if, in fact, when I was doing my work for the elusive dream and I was interviewing people, black people in the church didn't even know what evangelical was. You right. know, I brought up a lot of different ways to think about being a Christian and evangelical was one identity. Mm -hmm. And they were, I don't know what that is. What is evangelical, right? So that's an example. Right. That's a concrete example. But this is this is replicated throughout society in a variety of different ways. And so white supremacy is one of those broader systems. Okay, so what's the second system? The second system is is about how we do religion in this country. Mm. And and what we have is in our constitution a separation of church and state that the that the nat the federal government is unable to stout and establish a religion. But that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. In, in some ways, yes, it is. In okay. fact, what what that has done is it's allowed for people of color to create their own spaces because uh, religious spaces in particular, because it's protected by that 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 law. Right. So we have like the black church. So you have the black church because we have the separation of church and state and the government does not interfere in that. We mm. also have a proliferation of denominations and religions in the United States. Um, and 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 in fact, somebody can just start a church right now, <laughs> literally right now, anywhere they want with any religion they want to mm -hmm. call it because we have the separation of church and state. We have that freedom of religion, right. right? And so that has actually been really helpful and powerful, particularly for disadvantaged people in this country, because it facilitated a space where people of color could gather freely, mm. could, could share our ideas about the world. We could, we could reproduce our culture freely. In many ways, the only place. The only in fact, the only place, because wow. it is the only institution in the United States that the government does not have influence over in that way. Mm. Right. And so that's really helpful. However, there's another so there's side to it. OK, there's another side to it. what that also means is that and and. You know this, I'm sure, as well as other pastors that are listening to this, is that, you know, religion is voluntary then, completely <laughs> voluntary, right? That uh -huh. means that people can go to whatever church they want to go to, mm -hmm. whatever religious organization they want to go to, how often they want to go to it. Right. And once they get here, they can decide what they want to do when they get here. 
And they can decide if they want to give financial support or not and how much they want to give if they do decide to give. So so churches are dependent upon people coming and people giving. Mm -hmm. And that's just keeping it real, right? You know, you need (laughs) bodies and you need money. The mission requires money <laughs> it does right and sometimes we don't want to that's all that's another one of those unspoken things now uh, not all that culture not all mission and ministry requires money <laughs> <laughs> not not all um I, I think what i found in, in my research with the religious leadership and diversity project is that some um some some parts of uh christianity in this country are not as uh, unwilling to talk about that. So I've had mm-hmm. Catholic priests be keeping it real about, yeah, we need money. We need to raise money. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but not all, not all pastors just want to be real about that. Right. right. You don't want to be real about the fact that you really do need people to come mm-hmm. to keep the church going mm-hmm. and you do need money. Yeah. Now, but what does that mean? That has some really important implications. That means that in many ways, the pastor is beholden to the congregants, mm. right? Because, right. If the congregants don't appreciate what a pastor is saying, they can leave. They have uh, a lot of other options they can take right out there. Yes. And that means that the pastor then has to, doesn't have to, but it puts a lot of pressure on the pastor to t- keep that in mind, to take that into consideration. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. So, okay. So let's take that to the first system I talked about, white supremacy. If we live in a society where Short in in the short, white is right, and then you have a pastor who wants to talk about issues of injustice and racial injustice in particular. Yet he also recognizes, or she also recognizes, that we are in a society where people uh, understand and and affirm, and it's taken for granted that white is right. Then they might be hesitant to talk about that. Yeah, they absolutely. might be hesitant to talk about white supremacy. And in fact, we know of pastors who have done so and have lost their Positions. Yeah. Because the church was not feeling that. There's a cost. There's a cost to it. There's a cost. And there's a cost to it because white supremacy is a system. Mm-hmm. Right? Because if if white is right, and that's the understood norm, that is what is valued, then what that means is that you are rewarded for supporting that, mm-hmm. and then you are, you suffer consequences for not. Yeah. And that's, and that. Those two things, mm-hmm. white supremacy and the voluntary nature of religion in the United States, the separation of church and state, uh, together make the dream of the beloved community the dream of the so beloved community. difficult. Not necessarily multiracial churches, because you can have <laughs> multiracial churches without living out the beloved community. You can have diversity you can without have diversity. having a beloved community. Yes, you can. But mm-hmm. to actually get to the beloved community... We have to recognize those those yeah. issues there. So we need to be more sophisticated in how we name it. Absolutely. We need to name it accurately. And I think yeah. that's a part of my journey as well as being able to better identify it and to name it. Mm-hmm. But then we've got to have the courage and the strength to endure the costs that are going to come. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And we also have to be recognized I, what I would like to see as um, from the church is that a recognition that that pastors need that support mm-hmm. that it's not all about the pastor sinking and swimming mm-hmm. right based upon what's going what their congregants want that there is yeah. something bigger that supports 
pastors. Mm-hmm. And so we do have that to a degree in some polities. So in Episcopal polities, for example, where right. um, they, are, they are assigned to congregations. Right. But, but, and so there's a little bit more uh, freedom, mm-hmm. a little bit more freedom in those contexts. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, you still have to address that. You still have to uh, deal with what people are expecting in the pews. Right. And as I said, White supremacy is something that is pervasive. It's historically rooted, and it continues to be pervasive in our country. Yeah, some of the costs. Just honestly, I mean, I've I've lost good friends. I mean, some folks who, uh, you know, were with us at the beginning Mm. of the church when uh, we started at uh, this congregation and painted the picture of a beautiful, diverse Mm -hmm. (laughs) community. But when we got more sophisticated. And more intentional about naming what the system was that was yeah. keeping us from experiencing the beloved community, people walked away. Yeah. People left. Yeah. They said, Pastor Rich, I, I wish you would just talk about the old, you know, stories. Stories like <laughs> Esther. Like Esther. Like, oh really? You want me to talk about Esther who protected her her people from being completely wiped out? Yeah, disadvantaged people. Disadvantaged people. I mean, there was genocide that was being planned. Yes. (laughs) And Esther stood Mm. and and used whatever influence that she had been given to intercede for her people. You mean you want me to tell that story? Because that's the one we, we, we call to live out as God's people. Yeah. And then people, and then as you said, as you began to do that, people began to, to leave. They did. And so the cost can be that. And, and that and that's important, right? Because as we as I already talked about that for churches, particularly churches that are planted, mm-hmm. you know, having people and having people stay and people give is critical, right, for the continuation and survival of the church, right. And so, um, so we have to recognize that we have to be able to see those systems, mm-hmm. and then as a church, we we I would suggest collectively we have to develop new systems that counter that, mm. right? That wow. that counter it. In That's very good. real ways, That's good. Um, and and I think the the first uh, one of the things we can do, as I said, is to begin to develop systems that are supporting congregations and pastors that are not beholden to congregants as much as they are. Mm-hmm. So we need a we need a imagination though that even suggests that we can create new systems. Yes. we need to create we need a we need a new uh, Christian prophetic imagination that's one of the things that dr king gave us Mm -hmm. in the i have a dream speech in particular is is he he gave us a a higher imagination of Mm -hmm. what could be yeah do you what what exists out there now that would help us to reclaim or or begin to to claim uh a new imagination for this yeah you know what there have been scholars and theologians that have been writing about this for a while Quite frankly, right. and we mentioned, you know, several of them. We're, we we talked about, um, you know, um, Howard Thurman. There's James, James Cone. There's Diana mm-hmm. Hayes. There's mm-hmm. uh, there's uh, Gu- uh, Gustavo Gutierrez, which I really I want to uh, talk about right now. You okay. know, I really appreciate uh, Gustavo Gutierrez. He he talks about. He really emphasizes uh, freedom. Okay. And one thing I really like about what he talks about, he talks about freedom uh, from external pressures mm. and freedom 
for the interior, for the psychological, mm-hmm. right? Because sometimes mm-hmm. what we can do is we can disconnect those. We can we can only we can emphasize freedom for the interior world, for the in, for the for peace in my soul, peace in my soul, right? Mm-hmm. And, and we and we want to not talk about the reality that what's going on in the outside can has an impact what's going on in the inside. On whether you have that peace, that's right, right. Mm-hmm. and whether you even have that peace. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, when we were talking about when I was talking about, um, uh, you know, going to uh, the the black church you know or being in a different context i'm talking about how the context has a, context has an impact on my interior mm. now of course we can we are to have peace right, right. that can be separated from our context That's yeah right. but we don't want to but we also have to recognize that we can be embedded and live in in societies and structures that are countering our freedom mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and that those have a direct impact on what's going on in the inside. That's right. right? We, we have to recognize and see that. And what I appreciate about Gustavo Gutierrez is he emphasizes this. He says, to understand, when we talk about freedom, it's to understand that the step from an abstract to a real freedom is not taken without a struggle against all the forces mm. that oppress humankind. Right. And and I like that. All the forces. Mm-hmm. Right. Sometimes we want to talk about just some of the forces, right. but all the forces all that are oppressing humankind. That's right. right. That the goal is not only better living conditions. He talks about that as well. Mm. A radical change from structures of social revolution. In other, in other words, <laughs> it's not just about, uh, you know, changing what we're doing socially. It's mm-hmm. not just talking about just talking about, you know, changing laws and policies and all of that. You know, it's not. You're not just, saying that we shouldn't do that. I'm not you saying that do we shouldn't things, do that. But that's not the end. But that actually is not enough. Oh, okay. that's not enough. As he says, he says it is much more than a social revolution. Right. Then changing the structures. It's the continuous creation, never ending. It's a new way of being human. What he calls a permanent cultural revolution yeah a culture a permanent cultural revolution and that actually makes me think about what you were just talking about there uh pastor riches when we talk about the imagination Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. you know the imagination having a bigger imagination isn't that what jesus was telling us to have yeah was it a bigger imagination he said the kingdom of god is here but in more particular in luke chapter 4 He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, Mm -hmm. recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. That's right. That's right. Right. He gave a bigger imagination for what mission and ministry was and what it means to be a follower of God. Yes. Yes. I mean, Jesus expanded. Mm-hmm. Our understanding. And mm-hmm. in fact, when we really think about the good news, when we think about the gospel, it was a disruption of the foundation of society. Come on. It was a totally different way of understanding how we do life. Mm-hmm. You know, we say something when he says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. What? What? I mean, so many uh, <laughs> blessed are the poor. Mm-hmm. Right? So many ways in which Jesus was telling us to think differently, that the change our values, our, our, our frameworks, our ideologies, our norms. Mm-hmm. Right? So it was very foundational. It was, that's a cultural revolution. And that is yes. what's at the foundation of these structures. Yes. And so, you know, we really want to emphasize that freedom isn't just about freedom for our interior world. We also want to recognize that what's going on in the outside has an impact of what's going on on the inside, right? Yeah, it's yeah. not just that. In fact, quite, come on, in fact, it's not even, and this gets extended because freedom is throughout, 
mm-hmm. the, 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 the New Testament mm-hmm. and the Old Testament. It's not just a New Testament it's not ideology. Just, no, it's right. not just a New Testament mm-hmm. ideology. Come on now. It's something that God emphasizes throughout the scriptures. But, uh, but Gutierrez says this. He writes, St. Paul continuously reminds us of the paschal core of Christian existence and of all of human life. The passage from the old to the new person, from sin to grace, from slavery to freedom. And he, he quotes Galatians 5.1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Yes. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Yes. Right. We have to have a liberation from sin, he says, insofar as it represents a selfish turning in upon oneself. Because to sin, he writes, is to refuse to love one's neighbor and therefore the Lord himself. Mm. Sin. A breach of friendship with God and others is, according to the Bible, the ultimate cause of poverty, injustice, and the oppression in which persons live. Yeah. This is so, this all goes back, right, to the gospel, loving our neighbor, loving our neighbor, and that we want to have, we want to get rid of all systems of oppression. We want to have people to live free. So what you're saying, yeah, yeah, what you're saying there is that uh, loving your neighbor doesn't just mean taking over uh, a hot meal. Yes, <laughs> you're saying no. It's that. more. It's, it's more. not just your neighbor being able to go to the same school as you. Mm-hmm. There's more. Yeah, there is something of a of a oneness between you, a shared humanity. Between That's right. You. That's yeah. right. And you know, and and Gutierrez talks about this solidarity mm-hmm. of of humankind, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because there's a solidarity when we when we are free for one another. Right, that we are engaging in a in a in a struggle for freedom for everybody. Yes. Right, that we are because Christ did come to set us free. Yeah. You know, actually, I was one thing that made me think about when I think about Gutierrez. It actually reminds me of something that W. E. B. Du Bois talked about. Yeah. Right, because you know he when he talks about that relationship between the exterior. Mm-hmm. Freedom for the exterior and then also freedom for the interior world. Mm-hmm. It, it makes me think of W. E. Du Bois' uh, double consciousness. That's right. I thought that's where you was going to go. Yeah. You know what? Because, <laughs> you know, he he talks about uh, this. The, the Negro is a sort of a seventh son, he says, born with a veil and gifted with second sight in this American world, a world which yields him no true self-consciousness, but only lets him see himself through the revelation of the other world. Mm. It is a peculiar sensation, this double consciousness, this sense of always looking at oneself through the eyes of others. And so what he's talking about there, I would suggest, is, you know, that double consciousness is is that lack of freedom for the inner world. Mm -hmm. But what he's ultimately saying, Du Bois is saying, is that it's what's going on in the outside, which is a white supremacist society that says that white is right and you are not mm-hmm. and that and people of color and black people in particular have to navigate right right and that has an impact on the interior world right and so when i think about um well being in a multiracial space right that that that's when that double conscious double consciousness can be, be more engaged mm-hmm. because i become more aware of what's going on and how whites in particular are seeing what I'm doing and how I'm acting. And then I'm free, freer from that double consciousness when I'm in the black church, for example, for example. Right. right, And so we're talking about, this is the real stuff, right? The real freedom. You know, we want to get away from that, that, the, the, the fake, the stuff that's on the surface. Yes. And we want just to talk hand about holding in the just the hand holding. Right. 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 We we have to we want to go to again what you talked about, that bigger imagination. Yes. Yes. We need a we need a bigger imagination. And to do this in a multiracial space, 
values and works for the freedom of all people in the in the community. Absolutely. Absolutely. Doesn't settle for anything less than that. We're called to love. And this is what it means to love our neighbor, that our neighbor is free to worship. Yes. Free to express themselves. Yeah. As they feel led and are are expressing themselves that there is no one um, theologian that's going to dominate how we see God here Mm -hmm. in this community. There's no one. There's no one. And this is beyond worship styles. Right. We're not just talking about worship styles. But but that is one of the ways in which we express ourselves where we want to see ourselves free. Mm hmm. Right. That's right. Well, and that's just one that. example. That's just one example. Right. Come right. on. But, but actually, I mean, we can, we what we really are talking about is something far more fundamental. Mm-hmm. Right. We're talking about in every aspect of life. Again, a struggle for freedom from all forms of oppression or mm-hmm. all barriers to freedom. Yes. Right. Because yes. that's what it means to be living in Christ. Christ. Christ wants us to be free. You know, so, you know, I I really think that. um you know, we, we can sometimes think of God as calling us to diversity, mm-hmm. but as you've already highlighted, Jesus said what? He said he called us to be one. He called us to be one. He didn't pray in John, uh, you know, a 17. He didn't pray, Lord, make them diverse <laughs> as we are diverse. No. He said, no, I don't Lord. remember that. I don't remember that either. He said, Lord, make them one mm. as you and I are one. Yes. That's what he prayed for. That's what he prayed for. And that's a far higher call. Yes, it is. Far higher call. Yes. Because diversity, you really can get diversity on the cheap. I know how to get. I actually know how to get diversity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't cost as much. Right. You know, it doesn't require as much change mm-hmm. and, and that, f- that fundamental change, mm-hmm. that cultural change, that permanent right. uh, cultural revolution. Right. Right. That's right. That that oneness. Right. Uh, is 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 asking of us what, asking what was of requiring us. of us. Right. That's right. So so that's that's what um, that is what we are wanting to move toward. Right? So we are working. You and I are working on a, a definition of beloved community. Yeah. Can you share that with everybody today? Well, we this is where we've landed, okay. right? That, that, that the beloved community is where people experience love, safety, acceptance, freedom, and mutual care and support. Mm-hmm. Where people are empowered and valued. Mm-hmm. Where people can grow, mm-hmm. right? Where they can contribute in ways that are consistent with their gifts and capacities. Right. Uh, the bottom line is this is where people are free. That's the bottom to line. To be. Free to be. Free to be. Yeah. Right? Not just one way is right. Mm-hmm. Not just one white way is right. We mm-hmm. know that there is actually only one way that's right, and that's the way of the Lord. That's the way of the Lord. Jesus already told you what the one he right, says. right way is. Come on. <laughs> Come on now. Oh, wow. This has been rich uh, for our first, and no no pun intended, that, you know. But don't bump. But don't bump my name. <laughs> this has been rich as we talk today here on episode one. Um, about the beloved community. Uh, The message of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was not just a dream of diversity. It was one of freedom for everybody. In fact, that's the way he ends his speech. Mm. Let freedom ring. Yes, that's right. (laughs) Somebody actually saw, uh, I saw on social media, they said, I thought he said, let freedom reign. Like, no, he's, let it ring. Mm-hmm. Let it reverberate. Yes, yes. To every area and corner of the world. Yes. Let it yes, ring. Yeah. Yes, right? Yeah. So we are um so we are continuing on this conversation. Yes. Uh, and we want our listeners to stay engaged yeah. and connected. How can they stay engaged? Well, 
We can do that through Apple Podcasts okay. or Spotify. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter. Uh, look for Corey. That's spelled K-O-R-I-E, Little Edwards. Corey Little Edwards. And what about you, Pastor Rich? You can find me at Rich Johnson Online, wherever you uh, engage on social media, Instagram, Twitter. My Facebook account's not active, but don't look me up there. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, wow. so what do we want to leave our listeners uh, with today? Well, we want our listeners to know this. The dream may be elusive, but it is attainable. <laughs>